coordination and bounds built to stimulate around the eyes. Greatest and greatest wellness trends, treatments, and experience. Work back Magnesium is naturally found in foods like. This is the Well and Good podcast. Tune in to find the wellness that fits your frequency. As we know, discussing money can be a challenge, but identifying your money archetype can help to explain how you've grown in relation to your finances and contribute to more empathetic conversations as we come to a better understanding of our unique relationships with money. I'm director of podcast Taylor Camille, and today we've brought back therapist Leah Avellino to explain what money archetypes are and to explore the ways in which cultural and societal factors shape how we perceive interact, spend, and even save money, which ultimately helps us to feel more empowered with our financial decisions. Hi, I'm so happy to be back with all of you. My name is Leah, and my training is in relational and somatic therapy, which is basically a fancy way of saying that I help people go beyond insight and meaning-making and actually integrate change Um, into their lives by working from not only the mind, but the body as well, and exploring how our social identities impact how we feel about ourselves. And I am the CEO of Spoke, a brick and mortar connection hub in Brooklyn that allows people to connect deeply to themselves and others. I love it. And happy to have you back today to talk about something that's been on a lot of our minds is always on our minds. And that's money, which I think just is so tied to our well-being and to like our feelings of centered and feeling grounded. And so you had brought to us this idea of money archetypes. And so we'll get into that. But why, why is money so hard to talk about? That's a beautiful question. And even preparing to meet with you, I noticed I felt some anxiety around money. So money is so hard to talk about for three reasons that come to mind for me. And from what I've seen in my practice as a therapist and group support facilitator for a decade. The first is that when we're talking about money, we're really talking about class. And what we know is that the research shows that we try to sense people's class by evaluating their clothing, their tone of voice, their accent, but we don't explicitly ask about it. We implicitly inquire with questions like, where did you grow up? Or what college did did you go to? What school does your children go to? So because class can sometimes be an invisible identity, we've all created these ways of figuring out where we fall in relation to other socioeconomic status before actually explicitly addressing that. The second reason is that in order to make discussing money less hard, we approach it rationally rather than emotionally, but money is so tied to our emotions. So for example, we might ask ourselves the question, should I buy those shoes or should I go into debt for grad school? But really what we're asking ourselves underneath is, do I want to live a life in line with my passions? Is part of this education goal? 
all about straddling from one class to another. So really identifying Mm -hmm. if we are connected to our feelings around money. Was money something that we feel pride about? Um, Is money something that we feel shame about? And noticing how those emotions come up in our decision can feel really overwhelming. So we make it practical rather than emotional. And lastly, our early learnings about money really inform our present lives with it. So our first memories of how we learned money existed. I shared with you earlier that um, when my parents got divorced, my dad moved into an apartment in the Bronx, but I told all my friends we moved into a mansion that looks like shares from Clueless because I had a sense that that was a better class to be in than a working mm-hmm. class family. And that was when I was six years old. So thinking about how those early memories got tied to an understanding of social status, of access can be important. What about mantras about money? More money, more problems. Money doesn't grow on trees, right? All of these ways where we may have learned how to relate that are not conscious, but impact how we spend or how we save. Was money related to safety and survival for you? Or was it related to pleasure, trips, houses, fancy clothes purchases at the beginning of the school year? And also to think about how money was tied to power. So if we think about this from a systemic perspective, the most recent Pew research in 2022 showed that Black women earn 70% as much as white men and 65% for Hispanic women, 83% for white women and 93% for Asian women. So thinking about who gets access to money in this country and how it felt to not be given access. Maybe you told yourself a story that maybe you were lacking or to blame when really there was a systemic block to you moving through the world in a more easeful way as it relates to money. So really thinking about how these conversations are so hard, not because you lack skills, but because there's a whole system conspiring to silence around this topic and keeping the power in the hands of some and away from others. Right. Because if we don't talk about it, then... The system stays the same. And we blame ourselves for having things like imposter syndrome or being, quote unquote, incapable of asking for a raise. The issue isn't us. It's that this has been set up to empower some and to take power away from others. But by looking at our money archetypes, we can look at where did our stories come from? How do we relate to money? And do we want to relate to money in this way, or do we want to begin to shift that relationship so that we can get more of what we want? Absolutely. So much that is like not directly in our control. It's systemic. And, you know, it can be so easy to say, don't buy the coffee or, you know, exercise your nose. But if it's a dear friend's wedding in France, you kind of probably are going to want to go. And so how do you make your money work for you? Yeah, very interesting. Okay, so let's dive into the money archetypes. Um, I, I don't think I had even heard of them before you introduced it to me. So yeah, what are the eight money archetypes and how can you identify which one you fall into? Before we dive into that, something that you said that was so important and crucial, Taylor, is 
what money really taps into is what is our values, right? So for example, if you're a connector Mm -hmm. or if you're a giver, getting to that friend's wedding in Florence might be more valuable than saving money, right? So not only is it tied Mm -hmm. to emotion, but it's tied to values. And these archetypes Mm -hmm. can be really helpful for us to get clear on our values. The history of an archetype, it's a concept Mm -hmm. that was developed by the psychiatrist Carl Jung. And basically the Mm -hmm. reason why he developed it was there was this idea that if we could get curious about our tendencies, our behaviors, our patterns, that we could approach them in a more empowered way. What isn't measured isn't monitored. So we have to be in reality Mm -hmm. in order to change it. And these archetypes can help us look at what our reality is. It's important to note that these are not boxes that you should be trapped in. No archetype is good or bad. They are just ways of sort of understanding your behavior so you can decide what you want to do with that. Um, And all different financial theorists Mm -hmm. and financial psychologists come up with different ways of approaching this. So I just culled from a couple different sources based on what I hear from couples and individuals and families about what categories that they fall into. So the categories are mavericks, Mm -hmm. romantics, rulers, innocents, celebrities, nurturers, and accumulators. And we can break down what all of these are. And you might also be a combination of more than one of these, and that's okay too. So mavericks are real risk takers. Oftentimes entrepreneurs are mavericks. They see something that they want, they have an idea, and they're willing to throw big money and Mm -hmm. big risk on that. Um, These people are limit pushers, they're innovators, and they really like to sort of Mm -hmm. live on the edge. And while that comes with potentially great gain, one thing to be mindful of if you identify as a maverick are what are my boundaries around limits? What risks am I able to tolerate and which ones feel like Mm -hmm. too much for me? The next is a romantic. Um, Romantics love spending on themselves. They see the jewelry they like, the trips, the shoes, and they're like, You want it, I got it. it." (laughs) Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, They look at budgeting as restrictive. Mm -hmm. If someone puts puts any like limit on their spending for themselves, they're like, no, 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 no. This is all about feeling good. This is all about leaning into Mm -hmm. pleasure. So romantics are lovely and luxurious, but they might lean very much into the present and may not have their eyes on future future um, goals. Mm -hmm. And so that's something to just be mindful of as romantics age. And another thing about romantics is to remember that we live in a very materialistic culture. So it can be helpful to identify, are these luxuries giving you pleasure that's sustainable? Or do you need to maintain these quick hits Mm -hmm. in order to feel okay in yourself? And therefore, they might be more of an avoidance of some negative emotions versus um, something that you can really feel good about Mm -hmm. as time goes on. Mm 
The next is the ruler. So those are people who make money to have power, that Mm -hmm. that power makes them feel more secure, that they work hard, but they are always reaching. So for rulers, I often ask, what are you afraid to give up? What about being at the top and constantly climbing is so important to you? And whose experiences might you not be as mindful of? Oftentimes, this ruler might actually be acting out of a place of fear, and they don't want to get in touch with that fear Mm -hmm. of losing ground. So they just keep going rather than pause. The next is the innocent. And these people don't really want to talk about money. They don't want to act like they have a relationship with money. They might have someone else manage their money, whether a partner or a financial advisor. And again, nothing bad about this, but it can be important to look at what makes it difficult for me to own my relationship to money Mm -hmm. in this way. Avoidant. Exactly. That's Mm -hmm. a perfect word. Why am I not willing to speak about it, think about it. What am I trying to avoid, to use your word, Taylor? Mm -hmm. And then there's the celebrity who has a very close relationship to status. And money is about social access. It's about making sure that you can appear a certain way, gain access to certain spaces. And these people are often very motivated by approval on the outside. And so my question can be, what might be happening on the inside? What insecurity might you be pushing out of by filling externally that if you sat with, you could gain some gems or wisdoms from? Uh, Then there's the nurturer, Mm -hmm. and they are very committed to spending for others and giving to others. They're the ones that buy gifts for their friends, cook for their friends, uh, treat for the dinner, and go above and beyond. I think in this category, it's important to look at social role. Oftentimes, many women Mm -hmm. identify as nurturers. So thinking of the role you may have had in your family or in your community. And the thing to be mindful in this area is resentment. If you're always giving but not receiving, that might be an indicator that you're going past your limits and that you might not be as mindful of your own financial needs or identity. And then there's the accumulator who Mm -hmm. saves, 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 saves. They are all about putting away, not um, spending. And these people might be waiting to experience pleasure for a later date. So uh, we all have different relationships to kind of punishment and rewards. And some of those relationships play out with money. And certain people are pleasure delayers that they feel like they have to experience a certain level of suffering or sacrifice in order to have pleasure. So the area to be mindful of here is just, Mm -hmm. are you putting your pleasure on the back burner? And what would it be like to integrate some pleasurable things in the midst of saving for the long-term benefits.
So the connector is very invested in relationships. Mm -hmm. So as Taylor, you were mentioning, like wanting to go to a friend's wedding or that they will um, use their money as a way to remain connected in social and emotional contexts to other people. And they are very much Mm -hmm. invested in togetherness and are willing to take certain risks in order to remain connected to others. And in this area, there's something very beautiful about the art of gathering and also constantly going back and forth between what is the short-term benefit and then what is the sort of long-term goals that I might have or values around money that would make me feel okay with using this money for connection. Um, something that came up as you were saying that is I feel like we didn't talk about how you identify your money archetype. Like it's, I could, you know, identify with multiples, but is there a system that we're supposed to do to get down to like what we are? <laughs> Cause you might also want to be something that you're not. <laughs> so how, do, how do we like pinpoint yes. <laughs> unbiasedly where we land? Totally. So you can do that in a couple ways. The first is to not approach it too clinically. So often when we read this list or when you hear that anyone that you felt a pull to like, ooh, that kind of sounds like me, go with it. And not from a place of judgment, but from a place of curiosity. And first identify what parts of me lean in that direction Mm. under what circumstances. So for example, you might notice Mm. I'm really a romantic when I feel crappy, right? Like when I'm feeling sad or down, that that's when I want to spend. But I notice actually that I'm an accumulator Mm. when I feel more pride and when I feel more connected and centered with my goals. So It's not really about figuring out what the right one is to describe Mm. you. It's more about noticing where I feel drawn, where I relate, and then what, if anything, do I want to do with that information? Because again, a lot of us feel that pull between our short-term desires, the things we want right now, and our Mm -hmm. long-term ones, and in a changing workforce and economic system, it can be hard to sit with some of these questions. Um, The second thing Mm -hmm. is I've worked with couples or even in uh, friendship therapies that I've done to help people almost like gamify this list. Part of what makes it approachable is there are these discrete categories, so it makes it a little less overwhelming. So Mm -hmm. we can use this as a way to start a conversation that might feel too intimidating otherwise. So for example, if you notice your friends are all leaning into a more celebrity archetype and you're really having the goal of being more of an accumulator, then that might be an opportunity to have this conversation, have people self-identify, and then also set some boundaries or some needs and requests around these money identities. Mm -hmm. How do we see these archetypes play together or maybe not play together because I think even, you know, in community with others, you might, there was that Peloton instructor who was like telling people like, enjoy the brunch, like don't go to the brunch and like peace out everything, what you owe that just enjoy the brunch. Everyone splits it even. And, but that might not work for an accumulator. You know, they might be really like, I only had 
$20 worth of food and I didn't order a drink. And so I only want to pay my $20, which I don't know where in the world you can have a $20 brunch in 2023, but here we are. Here we are. <laughs> but yeah. So how do, how, how are these compatible or how do, how do they interact with each other? So that's a beautiful question. A lot of theorists when approaching money use this phrase, how we do one thing is how we do everything. So those of mm. us that might be like big givers in relationships also might be big givers with monies. Those of us that might be more restrictive and hold back, we might have that similar relationship to money. So if mm-hmm. there is any conflict around some of these propensities and how they might be not the same as others. Um, it mm-hmm. might be more about what's going on the re- in the relationship than the money itself. But the cool thing about compatibility is a lot of people think it's sameness, right? We don't often feel mm-hmm. the same as our partners. We don't often behave the same as our friends. The issue isn't having the same relationship with money. It's being able to negotiate our differences with respect and intelligence. So if you're noticing mm-hmm. that your history with money, because money was tied to survive doesn't allow you to just split the bill equally, how can you give a connected no to your friends? How can you say that that actually doesn't work for me? And this is my story around money. And so I really want to pay for Mm -hmm. just my portion of it and create Mm -hmm. some dialogue around that as a way for people to actually get to know more around each other instead of like we were talking about earlier, which is encouraged by our society to stay silent around money and money differences and just make assumptions about other people. Right. And I wonder like, As we interact with each other's archetypes and learn more about our backgrounds, do you think that these archetypes can change over time that someone who maybe identifies more as an accumulator can eventually be like more of a nurturer and learn to, you know, feel more freedom with their money? Or what do you think? I think for sure. And it's possible to change, but only if people are impelled to. So part of the power about identifying with an archetype or a couple archetypes is allows you to look at it, face it, and ask Mm -hmm. yourself, how do I feel about this? So for example, Mm -hmm. if you face your archetype and you notice that being an accumulator is actually evidence that you're holding yourself back from being your badass self out in the world and experience some of the pleasures on this planet, that that allows you to work on that and expand in that way. But if you're not aware of it, then you're not going to change it. And most of us change from a place of dissatisfaction. So if you are romantic and you're noticing, I really love spending, but I also have this quiet little voice in the back of my mind that's like, shit, what am I going to do when retirement comes? That that might be something to listen to. So not really following right or wrong, but Mm -hmm. noticing how does this sit with me in this moment? How does it make me feel? And also how is it aligned with my goals in terms of my financial health? Because just like we have relational health and professional health and physical health, we have financial health. And if we're not paying attention to it, just like if we're not paying attention to our physical health, we will likely not be healthy in that area. Right, right. And so do you think that 
obviously we need to have more money conversations and these archetypes help inform where you come from. How does that help us navigate tricky conversations when it comes to, you know, salary negotiations or other ways that we might be confronted with how we like to spend or not? So the way that I think it can be helpful is there's this quote that the psychiatrist who created archetypes said, which is, if we don't make the unconscious conscious, we'll screw up our life and we'll call it fate. And all of those Mm -hmm. stories, all of those histories, all the ways that we were taught about money that may not have been conscious have impacted how we show up in the world. So for example, if money and shame were closely aligned with you, you might experience imposter syndrome in your adulthood and be afraid to ask for more money in the workplace. But you may not be telling yourself the story, I'm afraid, not because there's some flaw in me, but because somewhere along the line, I learned that value was tied to money and money wasn't something that I had. And I was growing up in a capitalist Mm -hmm. society that told me that how much I earn impacts how valuable I am to others. So I think what it can help do is reduce shame. We don't take action from a place of shame. We don't ask for more money from that place. So having this information Mm -hmm. can help us look at our histories, our identities with curiosity, identify how we created this money story, how it was created for us, and then feel more empowered in terms of what to do with it. Mm -hmm. That was great. And so I wondered, what are some practical steps we can take to cultivate the archetype that we identify with and improve our financial well-being with knowledge of our mindset? So the first is notice, how do you feel about your archetype? So we typically tend to avoid things that make us feel (laughs) kind of crappy, right? So I noticed for me, when I looked at my archetype, which used to be romantic, it kind of made me feel materialistic, a little icky. It reminded me some of those early childhood memories of noticing the girls with Tiffany bracelets and wanting to be Mm -hmm. like them. Um, And so Mm -hmm. noticing those feelings, not avoiding them and going towards that, should I buy those shoes? Should I move to this neighborhood? Should I quit this job? And sitting in a little bit of that ick, will allow us Mm -hmm. to start to have a more empowered relationship. And then it was about finding models. So I really looked to people who were savers, like, how do you do this? And how do you deny your want in the moment? And really getting clear on what is my North Star? Where do I actually want to go with this? Mm -hmm. Great. How can you use your knowledge of money archetypes to improve your personal and professional relationships? So I think when we identify our money archetype, we can then trace it back in time to look at how did that archetype come to be that way? And how do I feel about the fact that it is that way? when we're able to see that there are certain systemic influences that have led us to have that relationship with money, we begin to separate self-blame. So we might feel guilt or shame about our archetype, but once we look at the systems and structures that may have created us and put us in that role, we begin to reduce that shame and make some room for action and empowerment. 
On today's show, you heard me in conversation with Leah Avellino. This episode was scripted, edited, and mastered by Haley Pascalides and produced by Jen Snyder, Abby Stone, and myself, Taylor Camille, along with many other hands and brains at Well and Good. Our theme music was created by Madeline Lakomsky and Matt DiDomenico. Our show art was designed by Jenna Gibson and Karina Masonette. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share.